Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Public Safety Now on Hexagon Radio. I'm your host, John Whitehead, Vice President of Sales for U.S. Public Safety here at Hexagon Safety and Infrastructure. There's a huge explosion right now for big data in today's public safety agencies. And while there's a lot of opportunity there, it's also creating a lot of challenges. So today we've got a great conversation that we're going to have uh, with Jack Williams. He's our product manager here at Hexagon Safety and Infrastructure. And we're going to discuss today how agencies can start building their data culture, transform some of their decision-making projects, and uh, just kind of how does this big data fit into policies, their operations, and hopefully a whole lot more. So, Jack, welcome. We appreciate you being with us here, and, and I'm looking forward to a conversation. Hey, John. Great to great to talk to you, and I uh, look forward to talking more about the, this topic area, which is very uh Dear, near and dear to my heart. Yeah, no, I know it is. You and I have had several conversations before about this, so I'm always excited to talk to you about reporting and analytics. You know, it's this it's this business intelligence. I know that there's some buzz and different wording all around the industry. Uh, I, I find it interesting how this thing started. You know, if you go back, you know, ComStat in public safety and policing, that, that's what we always heard, right, was, was yeah. ComStat reports this, ComStat reports that. And if you look back, I mean, that's like a mid-'90s terminology where that thing started. Um, but it was interesting. It, essentially, it started off as just a bunch of pins on a map, right? I mean, just just getting that information out there, and this it, it's just grown so big and so bad that the the data that's out there and the ability and the computer systems to be able to use this data is amazing. So, tell me a little bit, Jack, from that. You know how how does this term data culture? What what does that mean to public safety from what we started in the '90s to where we're at now? Yeah, so. And, and you hit on it, John. Um, you know, with the explosion of, of the big data, it, it, it really provides agencies with a vast new resource that can help transform the agency, um, helping them to build smarter systems that drive efficiency and probably most importantly, improve safety. Um, and in order to do this, uh, we'll, I like to use this term. Um, agencies need to establish what I call a data culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and a data culture, what it is, what, what does that mean? Right. Um, it encourages decision makers to focus on the information conveyed by the existing data and make decisions and changes according to those results. Um, this means what this really means is uh, agencies have to let the data speak for itself and trust the steering of that analysis. And so yeah. being successful at establishing a data culture at a public safety agency uh, requires the active participation of users traditionally not involved in quote-unquote analysis. Yeah, so so so, so it kind of gets it into the hands of everybody is what I'm understanding. Then it doesn't have to be some, you know, guy sitting in the back office that's got all this brainiac type of degrees (laughs) on the wall, right? I mean, it kind of gets us into our hands, the common guy's hands. Exactly. That's what, and and the cornerstone of it all, John, is open access to analytics-ready data. That's the cornerstone of establishing a data culture. And, um, So you need to have all that critical information in one place to answer your questions, and it needs to be ready for analysis. can't just be that raw data. That's step one, and uh, that's the cornerstone of of establishing a foundation for a a data culture. So here's the thing, right? We always, uh, when we talk about this, you know, I always think in the back of my head, right, it sounds easy. I mean, it sounds like, oh, I just, I, you know, a data culture. I can just put some, put some data on a, on a, on a sheet. I've got all this great data here. I might as well just throw it on a paper and just get it out to my, uh, to my command staff. But there's some challenges when it comes to this, isn't there? 
Yeah, I wish it was that easier, and, and we'd all be in a big old data culture right now. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a lot of challenges uh, associated with turning this vision into reality. Um, it's really difficult to take, uh, you know, even though we're rich in data and our agencies are rich in data, um, they're often poor in information. That's a famous, you know, uh, line that, that you hear quite often. Um, and so it's difficult for some of these agencies to turn their data uh, into real insights and answer real business questions. Um, you mentioned CompStat earlier. I mean, CompStat is, uh, you know, something that was introduced in, in New York um, in the 90s and was revolutionary at the time. But it's just it's statistics over time. And, uh, you know, it's listed out typically in sort of a table based format um, and pins on a map associated with that. Um that's good. And that was step one in helping to answer real business questions. But even that, by today's standards, is is useful. But there's better ways to view and visualize and actually get answers to your questions, not just see the results. Um, inefficiency. Uh, traditional ways of, of doing analysis um, are, are very challenging because the there's typically not a repository of data that is what I'll say analytics or reporting ready. Um, sometimes it takes, you know, uh, a week or two weeks to get the data that they, that an analyst might need to, to help make some decisions and change processes and be proactive. But a week or two weeks, just way too long and relying on people like IT to, to query the database and try to make sense of it and then hand that off. And then the analyst is using, you know, Excel spreadsheets. They're using some other piece of software. I mean, an analyst seems like they have a toolbox of analytics software, John. I mean, they yeah. just, it, it's, a, it's a hodgepodge and they'd have to go to so many areas to, to, to really uh, do their analysis and, and use so many tools that it's very challenging. Um, there's other things. Yep. There's, yep. It, 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 it seems like, you know, it seems like there's, there's, it's still challenging, right? And we don't want to make light of that, right? There is no easy button is what I'm hearing you saying. And it sounds like, you know, that there are definitely some tools out there. And I think we're going to talk a little bit later here about machine learning and some AI, how we can kind of take that in. But before we get down that road here, you know, one of the things that I was always, uh, I was always interested in was kind of hearing the end result, you know, and I know right out of the gate, you know, you mentioned New York City with their comms data when they were doing that. You know, you can do some quick searches online and see the results of those meetings. And even then, as they were they were, you know, doing these these meetings that they were having, and these were mandatory meetings that they had to sit there with push pins and maps and do these comstat meetings, they started bringing crime down. I mean, they're seeing like they were seeing back in the nineties with these manual modes, sixty percent uh, crime reductions, and you know, murders dropped, you know, for, you know, down, and they. It, it's amazing to me just some of the communication and utilizing this data, uh, how how it's making a difference. So, you know, those challenges that we just talked about, you know, we need to turn those into the meaning, meaningful insight and information-based decision-making. I mean, so tell me a little bit about that, right? How can I take this raw data using some of those those the challenges and overcoming those challenges, but then when I get the report and I have it in hand, how do we turn that around to where it becomes meaningful? Yeah. So how do how do we take those challenges and, and make something meaningful so that we can make better decisions? And that's yep. really the key. You can have the best analysis in the world, John. But I'll tell you what, if you can't convey those results to the end user in a digestible format, it's just not going to work in an optimal fashion. Um, so a couple of things. So one thing is supporting your decisions with data. 
Um, a lot of times, you know, the output from reporting and analytics um, supports what the officers or first responders know and objectively, objectively understand. But having the data to back you up um, is the uh, is the evidence you need to objectively propose changes, measure results, and measure the impact of those changes. So. Having data back you up and support your decisions uh, in an objective format is a benefit. Um, second is is we can start to um, objectively assess new programs and policies. We can start um, new policies, objectively measure those, and continually refine and, and contribute to a proposed action. Uh, we can create shift in patrol plans that uh, optimize our time and efficiency, but that also consider officer well-being, which is a a major topic area um, lately, a, a major area of concern. Um, validating and being transparent with our stakeholders, validating results to support things like public campaigns and funding requests. Uh, those are you know, very big. Um, unlocking your data with easy access to all of your users, being able to have that data on demand via a web browser, um, letting people do self-serve analysis. Um, all of these things are the ways in which data analysis and analytics tools can turn these challenges um, into meaningful uh, information to help make decisions. Nice. You know, you keep using the word objectively, and I think that that's an important term, right? I don't want to overlook that word because, you know, in in doing so and having all of these tools and having all of this data here, I think sometimes it's easy, right? We're just human nature to be able to say, oh, that, you know, maybe this is a bad part of town. We need to have more officers patrol that. Well, that, that, is that, is that real? And, and, and how objective is that, right? I mean, there, there, there's naturally going to be some biases, I would think, in some of these decision making processes. But to your point, if you're using this data and you're viewing this data, and you're looking at it objectively, to me, that that's a win all the way around, right? It says that, you know, these are areas that I may not have even thought about that I need to handle differently, patrol differently, um, you know, maybe from the fire side, I need to put more resources in that area. And again, the data doesn't lie, right? The data is what it is. And I think that, that, that that's a key point. So Talking about that from a uh, from a personal bias point of view and keeping that out of there, I think that leads right into what we're hearing about now and is some of this machine learning and and the AI, right, to be able to take this data um, and, and and give us better information with it, but but to do that through the machine itself. So, you know, what's your perspective on how those technologies are going to help us? Tons of potential, John. Tons. Nice. I view artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, now, here's the way I view it. I, I view it as a way um, to help and advise uh, public safety agencies, the users themselves, the first responders, not necessarily replace uh, our first responders or dispatchers or call takers. So that's first. I view it as a way to help and advise, not replace. Um, second, you know, if we just look at some of the bigger trends, what are our biggest challenges? Current call takers and dispatchers are overburdened. They retain, I am amazed. I am amazed when I go on site, John, and realize how much information call takers, dispatchers, first responders retain in their heads. Just to be able to, to, to leverage something like a machine learning to provide another set of, a second set of eyes so they don't miss anything. Yep. I think oftentimes we forget these are human beings. Their stress levels are extremely high. They can have bad days. 
they're becoming uh, folks in this industry are becoming harder to recruit, train and retain. So anything we can do to help them and that burden that's put on their shoulders with a second set of eyes as a as an advisement, I think is one of the major areas where AI and machine learning can help. Seconds would be more understanding the big trends, um, looking at historical data, uh, comparing that and correlating that with your live incoming data. Um, sometimes, you know, you're just focused on a particular agency, maybe fire, or maybe you're just focused on the dispatching side or the call taking side. Having um, the system itself leverage AI techniques and machine learning techniques to help get a bigger uh, view of the picture and trends, things like um, a major event might be unfolding. And the system can help detect that and just send up a notification to say, hey, you know, we are noticing a trend that there could be something happening. And sometimes, yeah, people do this today, but usually that's a human uh, analog type of thing. And to be able to do that, um, enhancing situational awareness. I mean, that, we want to provide our first responders with as much information about the incident, an event, et cetera, uh, as possible for their safety and for the better response uh, to the actual citizens or, or folks involved. Um, yeah, I, I like that, Jack, because, you know, what, what's, what's funny is, is that the more technology and the more tools that we bring into public safety, I think there's this I think there's this thought that, Oh, I'm going to give another tool. I'm going to get more information. I'm going to have another technology and let's bring that into, and in this case, we'll just use the dispatch center, right? And, and I think you brought up a really good point here. There's a lot of information going on through that dispatch center today, right? I've got, I've got a caller screaming in my ear because maybe uh, my response wasn't fast enough. I got another caller that's screaming in my ear because you know, they're having some uh, a serious issue in their life and they need help. And on top of it, right, I've got all this technology sitting in front of me and all these data feeds and information coming in. And the fact of the matter is, I don't want to bring machine learning in and AI in learning to take the place of people. And I think sometimes that's the first thing people think, right, is, oh, my God, you're going to automate my job and right out of existence. No, actually, what I want to do is I want the machine learning to enhance that position. I want that dispatcher, that call taker to be enhanced based on that machine learning and having that AI there. Because to your point, and I'll expand on it, I don't have time to sit there and scroll through data feed, data feed, data feed to get that one little nugget that I need that's going to help me respond or get my guys and and, and team out that much quicker to help that uh, that citizen that's on the call. Exactly, John. You nailed it. Um, and that's that's the key, right? I, I think it's it's to advise and to be assist. And, um, and, and, and really, uh, well-being, um, helping, uh, lower the stress levels, helping us to be more effective and efficient in our responses. Um, you know, we can use it to automate what I'll call redundant tasks. Um, but, you know, the, there's still always going to be, uh, I'm a firm believer in a, and definitely, uh, the human element being at the center of, uh, of public safety and first, and first response. Yeah. That, that makes, that, that makes sense. So, okay. The next thing that pops in my head, it's something that is I'm out there and you probably hear this a lot, right? But I love the movie. But unfortunately, Tom Cruise made it tough on, uh, on, on the future of public safety, right? So I keep getting, get, keep getting questions about minority report. Um, so let's take that into some more reality, right? Today, you're hearing that called predictive policing or predictive analytics. It's, it's trying to say on this corner of this street at this time of day, a mugging could occur. Someone could get carjacked. Some, could, I mean, so it's this predictive analysis based on historical information. Uh, what, what's your take on those? Yeah, uh, I'm going to give you my personal take on this, John. So 
Um, you know, whereas, you know, what I, we were talking about earlier, which is taking artificial intelligence and machine learning and basically solving traditional problems in public safety using these new methods, predictive policing and that that term, um, to me, I view that a little different. It's, it's a popular buzzword, uh, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, th- there are some there are some. I guess, concerns with it. Uh, one is, um, you know, anything that, that predicts more of a location, um, you know, kind of like what, what you said, you know, taking into the compactor of things they call this risk terrain modeling, you know, uh, lights are out on a street or broken windows and this and that, that there's a high likelihood that, um, you know, robberies will occur or vandalism will occur. I mean, those, those are okay. I'm okay with that. And I think they're, is some um, data science principles and algorithms that could produce uh, solid results. However, where I get a little uh, iffy is when we're using the term predictive policing to do what I'll call some some level of profiling on individuals, either individuals likely to commit crimes or individuals likely to be victims of crimes. Um, that's where, uh, and coming from a data background, um, the by there's a thought, and this is not this is a, I tend to believe it. Um, data inherently has some bias, and when you start to use data to profile individuals, you can end up in um, all you can end up reinforcing the bias inherent in the data. I don't know if that makes sense to you, John, but I, I think um, you know to do it. I think there's some potential there. I think it, uh, though, when it comes to predictive policing, it, it requires full transparency. It can't be a black box algorithm that's right. making these decisions. You've got to be able to explain it. And you also got to be uh, aware of the tendency for if there is bias in the data, it will reveal itself in the algorithms itself. And uh, so, you know, I, personally, you know, if it's if it's away from the individual and focusing less on the profiling aspect, I think it's a promising area. Uh, I'm just a little personally uh, hesitant uh, when it comes to profiling police or not police uh, people and uh, likely to commit crimes and likely to be um, victims of crime. Yeah. So it sounds like it's a, it, it could be a slippery slope, but it's definitely uh, one that we got to kind of walk in with being cautious, right? Not just taking it for granted that it, that the data that's coming out is gospel, that there is uh there is going to have to be some objectivity, I think, in, in, looking at that and taking that forward. So it sounds like that's still a, a work, to, a work in progress that we're, uh, that we're going to just kind of slowly, uh, consider as we move into the future. So in other words, no jetpacks on our police officers. <laughs> crime starts then. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. So I, you know, I know you got some exciting news here. You were just out recently. I mean, you're on the road a lot, man. You're a busy guy as well. So I know you were just out. And you just were on site of the customer site doing some training with them uh, from an analytics point of view. So tell me about their feedback. I mean, what kind of feedback were you getting? Because this is fairly new for that customer. But also, how do you think that they're going to use it in the future, right? I mean, because it's one thing to go in and train and just show everybody how it is. And they're all excited about their new reports. But how do you think they're going to use it? And what was their feedback for it? Yeah, so first, uh, you know, in my role, um, I, I was fortunate enough to actually get on site, uh, be with the customer, participate in the training itself, and uh, really see firsthand um, uh, how the how the once they understood what the platform could do, how it really opened their eyes. The feedback was excellent. Um, they now have a single consolidated view that provides access to interactive reports and dashboards that they can share very easily and, and provide access to uh, the folks who need that data. 
So it enables, it's that cornerstone piece. We put the cornerstone in of a data culture uh, by providing that, that, that data where that data, single consolidated view of our data. Um, you know, they actually looked at me and they said, it's, it's so great to finally have on demand information that they can rely on uh, and trust. That's a big, big key here, trust mm-hmm. and that they can share. And, and they, they have wanted this. Um, they thought they were going to get it. And in reality, they now have it. Um, so they, you know, everything we had folks in this class, everything from, you know, just a standard qualified user to command staff, the council members, the chiefs. We've got those reports and that information that they need covered now. They, 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 this is what they told us. And so, you know, all the, our training participants were, were able to walk away with the reports they need, the analytics they need. And they have a foundation to, I mean, once they're up and running, now they can just go with it, John. Um, so it is. I mean, basically, we instilled the foundation for a data culture. And um, it, it's great. It, it makes my job rewarding when you can go on site and you can see the excitement in people's eyes. And I, I know I'm kind of a tech guy. And when people get excited about, um, you know, data and some technologies that can seem a little goofy sometimes. But this is actually impacting their jobs and their ability to be efficient and, and optimize and, and share information with their stakeholders. And they were genuinely excited about all the possibilities. And that just made my day and it's made my week. Yeah, that's got to be a good feeling, right? When you're out there and you're showing technology that's actually making a difference and in, in, in being that's going to be part of their workflow. No, that that's exciting. So, all right, we only got a couple minutes here left before we kind of wrap this stuff up. So, do you have any advice for some agencies? I know there's a lot of, you know, hopefully there's a lot of people out there listening to this and thinking, yeah, this sounds great, Jack, and boy, that that customer is doing well with their new product. But do you have any advice on how agencies that may want to build or embrace this data culture, what they can do? Yeah, and, and these would apply to anybody, John, not just potentially folks that we deal with as our customers, but any public safety agency. First off, it starts at the top, right? You got to buy in. So it requires buy in at the top level. That doesn't mean the top level has to understand every little nook and cranny of, of data analytics, but it requires an investment and a commitment from the top to become a, an agency that creates a data culture that is a data driven agency. Um, I think, too, uh, the other thing is this isn't just reporting. Um, You know, my advice is to look at this as an opportunity to transform your agency. Having data to back up, uh, to objectively back up what you subjectively, subjectively know is a great thing, and it helps you to objectively measure impact. Um, Require or, or encourage the active participation of users who are not that. traditionally involved in analysis. Um, incorporate more analysts into your staff. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, John, I, I go up to Canada quite a bit. They uh, they have teams of analysts that work for some of these agencies. And it, you can tell they're efficient. Uh, so invest in the human resources to uh, have more analysts um, and invest in analytics platforms and technologies. And don't forget the key to all this, though, that cornerstone is for a data culture or reporting or analytics is the power of a good data warehouse, giving you that single consolidated view of your agency's data. So, you know, those are good general starting points to help create a data culture within your agency that can have transforming and lasting impact. 
Awesome. Jeff, those are some great tips, man. This has been an awesome conversation. I love talking to you about this. I could see the, uh, well, actually hear the excitement in your voice in this case. So, uh, it's always good to talk to you about this. So I want to give a big thank you to our guest, Jack Williams. It's always a great conversation to have him on. So for more information about today's topic, visit us at www.hexagonsafetyinfrastructure.com and to hear additional episodes or learn more, visit us at hxgnspotlight.com. And thank you for tuning in.